This is Emmanuel Today. Taking steps towards God's possible in your life. Spygate. Here we go. This is Spygate Part 2. Look at Joshua Chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. And he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Friends, we are going to learn many things out of this text today. Spying is important, but we're also going to see that anyone can have faith from any place in any situation in life. Why did Joshua send spies to scout out the land? Preparation is necessary before the battle. This is a lesson I want us to think about today, that he is teaching us that preparation is necessary before the battle. Say that with me. Preparation is necessary before the battle. Consider the cost before you go into something, before you step forward, you go into your big idea, your big dream. And in the narrative of moving into the promised land, Joshua teaches us to explore any potential obstacles, really knowing where the enemy is, researching and doing risk assessment. So before he takes the whole of the armies of Israel into battle, he sends spies ahead to look into the story to see what he's going to be getting into. He's a former spy who sends spies again to do his research. Friends, it is really important that we think ahead a little bit in our lives, that we consider what's around the corner. How many of you have big dreams? Let me see your hands. Well, if you got big dreams, you got a big promised land, you need to do some spying the land out. You need to think ahead and look around the corner and explore it before you step into it. If you don't, you can put yourself in a place of danger. Proverbs 20, 25 says, don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God and only later counting the costs. Don't jump into that thing too early. Don't just run headlong into it. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, or somebody's giving you a wisdom or advice, never make a big decision in the middle of a crisis? And I think it's important to think through stuff. We need to think through stuff like before we jump into a diet plan, what we're really doing. See, I don't know why people think that losing weight is hard. I've done it hundreds of times. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? When it comes to, to plans and new things, we think about immediate results sometimes, but we don't think about long-term impact. You know, and you dive into this weird, crazy diet that you found online or you, everybody at work is doing or... They're all talking you into do it, and you lose a bunch of weight, and you put your picture out there on Instagram, and it stays there forever, you know, when you get down there. But then as soon as you come off of that diet, you get double your weight, you know, because you didn't think through the process of what it means to have a healthy living schedule. Preaching to myself today. Jesus said this. Jesus said, Jesus said, you got to think about it before you come and follow me as a disciple. Think through it. In Luke 14, this is what Jesus said. But don't begin until you count the cost. 
For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Jesus said that. You need to think through, count the cost. And then once you have, you can go into the land. Some of you in here that are the worry words, that don't do anything, you're sitting there going, yeah, Pastor Nate, get them, get them, get them. I'm not saying stay in the desert and fear. I'm not saying be an ostrich. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. You need to go look into things that uproot you out of the lethargy that you're in, but think through it when you do it. Joshua is a good leader because he considered what's it going to cost? What effort do I need to take? What about the investment? What changes? What do I need to think about? And he's a strategist who wants to know what he's leading his armies into, what the opposition's going to do, what their state of mind is. He thought through his opposition. Good business leaders practice what's called a SWOT analysis. Anybody ever heard of that? A SWOT is an acronym for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And a good business owner will think through any opportunity through the SWOT analysis. They'll think through what are the strengths of this opportunity that I have? What are the weaknesses of this opportunity? But what are the opportunities that I could have that I wouldn't have without it? And then finally, what are the threats that would maybe shut down the business? I remember one of the principles that I learned while working at North Central is we had this principle that if we wanted to do something new, we needed to make sure that at the worst case scenario, it wouldn't sink the boat. In other words, it wasn't below the waterline. So if something went wrong, could we still survive this new opportunity? Too many people jump into stuff and they take such great risks that they got all their hits, their blow-ups under the waterline and it sinks the ship. But we gotta think through our opposition. What about that thing that you wanna do next? What about your future? Where's the enemy gonna try to take you out? Think through it. What are the potential obstacles that are laying out there that could maybe wipe you out? If you're a family and you're considering uh, new things in your life or moving or changing jobs, what are the SWOT analysis, if you will, that you need to consider the new things? What about going into new commitments of new things that your kids need to get into? I don't know, but in this day and age, parents have more opportunities for their kids to get involved in stuff in the community, at school, in sports, in fine arts and other things than they did even when I was a parent when my kids were younger. And there's all these things, and, and all of them cost money, hello. And all of them cost time, hello. And we consider it, and many times we think, through, this is a strong thing, it's going to make my kid a more well-rounded person. They might make the, the, the varsity team when they get to be into high school. This will broaden their opportunity to get college scholarships. It will keep them off of drugs because I'm keeping them busy and all of that. We've got all these strengths that we got running around in our head. But have we thought through the weaknesses of it? Have we thought through what will happen in the course of two or three years when a kid consistently can't be connected to church because they're gone every weekend and they're gone every night the youth group is together, they're gone when the kids get together, and you, they, they go to church when they can. 
It becomes a secondary option. What is the result of that when they become adults? When they become adults, church becomes an option. Okay, I'm not saying you don't do those sports, but think through the week. Where can the enemy get your kids? Be smart about this. And there are opportunities and there are threats wrapped up in it, but you got to think through it. And by the way, just a little bit of advice. If your kids are going to be involved in traveling sports, you need to find a way to still have faith in their life that weekend that they're gone. Don't just go, well, we'll get it in in two weeks when we have an off weekend. What if you became a family chaplain for the team and did a devotional? What if you were proactive about it and you said, well, we've got time between our events and so we can go visit a church in town? I'm just saying this, if faith isn't important to your regular lifestyle, it'll never be important to the next generation. You are creating their ceiling right now. Shundai. Let's go. So Joshua sends the spies to capture film, if you will. When I was a, a, a coach and uh, my, my sons had played football, they would watch film of their opponent. And essentially, they wanted to know what their opponent ran so they could beat the opponent. They knew where their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats were. And so these spies now go into the land, and we see them doing something that's good leadership. But we also see something, and this is what I love about chapter 2, as you look at Joshua chapter 2, you discover that God is already at work behind enemy lines before they got there. It says, so the two men set out, came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there that night. And what we're about to discover is that God was already at work in this woman's life who already feared God and already had put some faith in him, and these men were allowed to stay in her house. Now, how many know I wouldn't have picked a prostitute to be the lead person in the story? But this is who was used of God for the story of God taking over Jericho eventually. And she became really important. These spies went to a house of someone who did not have a good reputation, even though it was considered the oldest profession in the world. Verse 2, I'll give my Nate version of it. There's a snitch in her house. And the snitch goes and tells somebody in the king's house that the spies are there. The whole city's already on high alert. They're on uh, level orange. And they're worried because Israel's coming. And they hear a spy is there. And so the king sends his FBI agents to the door. And Rahab had hid them on the roof. And Rahab concocts a story to protect the, the spies. Because they, she doesn't want to reveal. And if she had revealed that they were there, they would have been murdered. They would have been killed. And she's already begun to believe. We'll find out in just a few minutes. She's already begun to believe in their God. And she feels like her way of escape is through these spies. So she's protecting them. And then the FBI leaves. And Rahab now talks to the spies. And I love this part of it in verse 8. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. She said, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And when we know, and we know, 
what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. Look at verse 11. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. We discover that this woman had every reason to not believe in God, believed in God. She had fear and a godly fear and a trust in God, even though she had a label. Her label, the prostitute, her fact that she was a Gentile living in the enemy city would have, most of us would have said, she's not even a candidate to be a part of God's story. But the beauty of this story is that her label was not an obstacle to God. God was bigger than her label. Her label was something that would have been an obstacle to us and maybe to herself in some ways and to the people around her, but somehow that label didn't wipe her out. Her label was the prostitute. It was actually echoed still in the New Testament. It kind of went with her, but it no longer held her down later on. In the middle of that label, she had an opportunity for faith and God notices. And this is what I want you to catch today. It does not matter what age you are, your story, what you've gone through, the things I don't know about you. It doesn't matter where you've been, how much money you've lost, what your label is. It doesn't matter where you are. Rahab tells us and shows us that you can have faith right where you are. You can have faith today in this place. We get labels from parents, words that they said about us. We get labels from our own experience, experiences. We've failed. We've messed up. We've been rejected. Now I'm a single parent. And that label is a single parent. It's somehow it's less than. I think a single parent should be champion. You stay with your kids. You're doing it. You're holding it down. But it's amazing to me. I think it's amazing to me how a label can like remove us and pull us back. Or maybe we think we're, we're slow in learning because somebody said something to us when we were younger. We have a battle with dyslexia and so we think that we aren't capable of doing anything greater. Or we have something that's happened to us in our story that pulls us back from being who God has called us to be. And Rahab shows us that God is bigger than your label. Some of you hear your label is depression. And this week we heard horrible stories of two world-renowned people who committed suicide. And you think they had everything. They had money. They had fame. They had prestige. They had everything people dream about. Why did they take their life? And let me tell you this. Mental illness is a serious thing and you need to take it serious. We need to take it serious as a church. There needs to be no stigma associated with it. If you need help, get some help. If you know somebody that needs help, don't back away from them. Lean into them. Love them. Stay with them on the journey. It's an epidemic in our country. I think it was the age demographic between 21 and 40. The second leading cause of death now is suicide. People are running from hope when God offers hope. They're running away. And when you don't have hope, you don't have faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
And only God can give us hope. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to turn towards him, not run away from that or even hug our label, whatever it may be. How do you describe yourself? Do you limit the possibilities because you think you are like Rahab behind the wall? God is bigger than your label. Rahab is the first of two women who are listed in the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, it's a powerful thing. The first woman was Sarah, Abraham's wife, and then Rahab, an unlikely candidate to make it into the hall of fame of all time. In verse 31, it says, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She's listed there, it was by faith. Say that with me. It was by faith. Say it again. It was by faith. Friends, if you're going to break free from your label, you got to do it by faith. Despite all the obstacles, Rahab saw what was going on and believed in a God that wasn't native to her people. She believed in a God that would remove her from her label. Jesus cares about people behind enemy lines. You know, I need to hear this. He's at work in the lives of people like Rahab who aren't in any church right now. People who we might consider outside of God's plans. And his plans is for all nations to come and worship and live under his leadership. Who are the people in your life who are unlikely choices to have faith? Some of you here today are like, I don't have a problem with labels. I'm okay. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. And you can say that and you're like, Rahab, that's for other people in the room. My question to you is this, who are the Rahabs in your life? The people that you think are outside the bounds of what God can do. It's time for the church to have an awakening to intercession and to prayer and belief that God can change the labels in the culture around us. God's not done just because you got out of there. God still wants to rescue people on the other side of the wall. Who are the people in your life who are unlikely Choices to have faith. Psalm 2, 8. Only ask, God says, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. This is God. It's quoted by Jesus earlier that in that context of Psalms. He's quoted in there as God is speaking a prophetic word about the Messiah and how the nations were in his inheritance. Look at James 2, 20. Five, it says, Rahab the prostitute is another example, looking backward. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. See, in the middle of where she was, whatever her label was, behind enemy lines, she didn't just believe in that God, she took action to join the plan. And she stepped into the story. And her faith unlocked grace, not only for her, but for her whole family. Not only was protection promised for her whole family by those spies, but Rahab knew that Israel was coming, so she prepared how to get there. She prepared a plan. And what she did, she, she took a scarlet rope. I dropped by Lowe's earlier today, so this will have to do. <laughs> and what she did is she... she Took, she said, I'm going to have a rope, so when the armies of Israel come, this is going to be my sign. Some people talk about a scarlet thread. No scarlet thread could be seen by an army walking up to a big, massive city. 
it was a rope, okay? And what she said is, when the armies are coming in, I'm going to throw this out the window and I'm going to hang it so you know where me and my family live so you can spare us. And you can read it and we'll preach on it in a few weeks in Joshua chapter 6. That's exactly what happened. But what she did was she secured this moment. She secured not only for herself but her whole family this story. Her faith wasn't just about her, about Rahab. It was also about her kids and her grandkids. They also could receive grace. In other words, the story was much larger than the one she's in. I think this generation, people that battle suicide need to pull themselves back and recognize it's more than just about you in this story. There are generations coming behind you. Rahab could have given up. She could have lost her hope, thought there's no way, I've done too many bad things, there's no way God would use me. But she went into action and because she did, her family benefited from it. It's worth going through your addiction and beating it. It's worth fighting through and, and loving and staying on your feet after a divorce. It's worth staying on the journey when you lose your job. It's worth it even though you feel like your best friend turned their back on you. You can stay in the journey. You can do it. And Rahab, the prostitute, not only had a rope that extended to her family and to her kids and their grandkids, but eventually that rope included Jesus. For she would be Jesus, great, 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 great. Let's keep going. Great, 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 great. Grandma. It was out of her ancestry, her descendants, that Jesus came in Matthew chapter 1, where all the genealogy is, and I'll skip parts of, the, uh, of it, but in verse 1 it says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Verse 5, Samuel was the king of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. Verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the what? This girl is a bad girl! Because it didn't matter what her label was, what she had done up to that moment. She got to that moment where she declared her faith in the one true God, took action. And because she took action, along came her babies and her grandbabies and her great-grandbabies. And because she did, you and I can believe in the Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world. That's a bad woman. That's a bad woman. She's incredible. She's incredible. God is bigger than your label. Jesus isn't afraid of your label. And you are living for your great-grandkids today. My middle name is Paul, named after my grandpa's first name, which was Paul. Paul Ransom Roosh. My grandfather was born into a family of dysfunction. His mother was married three times. He lived with his mom. And as he grew up, his mom looked for work. And one of the ways that she found to work, they had an apartment above a bar, was to be a prostitute. There's always a story behind somebody that's doing something that seems so wrong. 
She wanted to take care of her little baby, so she did whatever it took. She wanted to take care of this boy, and I've heard stories of my grandfather, who when he would go to bed at night, he had no bed, so he slept in the toy box. And that box could have been in the limitations of his entire future. He could have stayed in the box. In fact, as he grew older, he had great anger as a teenager. How many know angry people do stupid things sometimes? Because they don't know how to find resolve inside. And there are many people in our culture that do stupid things, but they're not outside the love of Jesus or the scarlet thread of, of hope. And so one day Jesus met my grandpa. And my grandpa didn't just get saved, he got saved saved. You know the difference? He got saved saved, like transformation. And he was crazy before Jesus, he was crazy after Jesus. And then he got filled with the Holy Spirit. He went to a college for a couple years. He went to World War II, served in the Navy, came home, raised my dad and his sisters and his brother. And because my grandpa started believing from where he was, God did amazing things. But he only pastored churches that were small throughout Iowa and Illinois. He was actually, if you know the missionary Mike Shields, he was Mike's pastor at one point in Comanche, Iowa. Little small towns, unknown places, faithful, serving, loving, just like my dad, taking care of everybody and their grandma, loving people. But in the pastoral world, it might seem like it's not real high notoriety. Never did much bigger church. People didn't know his name. But my grandpa's middle name, Ransom. How many know there's a meaning to the word ransom? Somebody bought my grandpa. His name is Jesus. And because he was willing to live not only for himself, but for his kids and his grandson named Nathan Paul Roosh. One day, I was able to grow up in a house where my dad went a little bit further in the faith and continues to show me how to live following Jesus. And I grew up in faith. And because of that, I had a responsibility to go a little bit further and step in. And because I can preach to this church today with hundreds of people, it's because my grandpa said yes. It doesn't matter what your label is, baby. Moses was a murderer. He stuttered, and God used him. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. If you put your faith and your hope in Jesus, not only will you make a change, and not only make a change for you, but it will make a change for those who come after you. It is worth the struggle, and I know the struggle is real, but if you will believe in the one, the only one who can have that scarlet thread that goes throughout all of the Old Testament leading to Jesus' death on the cross and his rescue for us. He can ransom us all. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. For more messages, visit emmanuelcc.org.